Years ago, when contemporary Christian music emerged as a pop genre, Amy Grant hit the charts with a song titled, Angels Watching Over Me. Angels watching over me. The Grammy award-winning performer tapped into the curiosity many of us possess about these magnificent celestial beings we read about in the Bible. Evangelist Billy Graham called the angels of heaven God's secret agents. And God has his angels. Would it surprise you to know that angels are sent by God to serve us as we serve Him? The writer of Hebrews tells us that some have entertained angels without knowing it. Do the angels of heaven really watch over us? Are they sent to protect us, even fight spiritual battles for us? The Bible says yes and amen. I'm Ron Jones, and this is Something Good. Hello and welcome to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. I'm Brian Davis, thanks for tuning in. And today we come to the end of Ron's powerful teaching series, AD Acts of the Apostles. And what a great series it's been. If you've missed any messages along the way, be sure to visit somethinggoodradio.org to listen to Something Good Radio on your schedule or to make a safe and secure donation to the ministry. While you're there, check out Something Good Television, Something Good Courses, Something Good Travel, and the new Something Good Digital Library where you can search for biblical answers to your questions from nearly 30 years of Ron's Bible teaching ministry. That's somethinggoodradio.org. From Acts chapter 12, here's Ron with part two of his Something Good Radio message, Angels Watching Over Us. James is killed. Peter's life is spared for the moment. God, are you still in control in this place? I mean, have you ever had contrary experiences and contrary things come to your life and, and you're having a hard time balancing the love of God with the sovereignty of God? I mean, God, if you, if you love us this much, couldn't you have spared James, let alone Peter, going to prison? Couldn't you have used your all-powerfulness to do something here? Have, have you ever, maybe you're facing contrary circumstances right now uh, where, you know, you're facing some troubled waters. And your theology, your understanding of who God is and how He operates, uh, you, you, you know, you're struggling here. It kind of reminds me of uh, Rabbi Harold Kushner who wrote the book years ago, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? Do you know why he wrote the book? Because he and his wife had a hard time understanding how a loving God could allow their son to be born with progeria. Progeria is a, is a horrible disease that accelerates the aging process, and his 11-year-old boy looked like a 90-year-old man. And the good rabbi said, God, do you love us? You're sovereign and all-powerful. Why didn't you do something? He couldn't conclude that it's because God doesn't love. No, what the rabbi concluded was that God wasn't powerful enough to change the situation, even though he wanted to. And that's an unsatisfactory theological conclusion. Oh, he could have stopped the sword from going into James. He could have gotten in the way of Peter. But a sovereign God chose not to do that. And we have to leave room for that in our theology. He loves us. He's all-powerful. But he lets us live in a world that is a fallen world, 
full of brokenness and sin and pain and suffering. And from heaven's perspective, friends, it's for a season. Doesn't feel that way to us, does it? You know, Paul refers to these momentary light afflictions that we experience in this world. Doesn't seem very momentary because we're time-bound creatures. All we know is time, and we're trying to live with an eternal perspective. But from heaven's perspective, it's momentary. Doesn't feel light. Uh, the burden on us is heavy. The burden on the early church when they got this it was heavy. But from heaven's perspective, this is momentary and light compared to eternity. And what this fallen world and this season demands of us is that we live by faith. We live by faith trusting that the God who has revealed Himself is exactly who He says. You know, the devil is a, is a liar. The devil in, in Genesis chapter 3 lied, gossiped, and slandered the Lord's reputation. He'll do it every time. He'll do it every time. He, God, God, God really doesn't love you. God really isn't in control like He says He is. And you start hearing those little things from the devil, the father of lies. One of the first lessons we learn from Acts chapter 12, given the circumstances the early church is facing, is no, God is in control. We're going to see that played out later in the story here, but God is in control. I don't know what contrary experiences you're facing right now, where you're just kind of the ed on the edge of believing, God, do you love me? Do you really love me? Because if you did, you wouldn't let this happen. Or if you were really so powerful and sovereign, you wouldn't have let this happen, God. No, He's both at the same time. Leave enough room, leave enough room for God to work to work all things together for good. He didn't say all things in this life were good. No, some things really stink. We live in a fallen world. But he said, to those who love me, I'll work together all things for good. I'll weave it together. You have to give me some time to do this, but I'll weave it all together for good. Do you have enough room in your theology for that? Lesson number two, God hears our prayers. Look in verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Don't you love this? Remember when we, be, when we began our study of the book of Acts, I said prayer is mentioned 29 times in the book of Acts. There are only 28 chapters. That means at least on average once per chapter we find the early church in prayer. And this time they're not just in prayer. Uh, Luke says... They're in earnest prayer. Hey, how earnest is your prayer life? You know, sometimes it's not very earnest. You know, we pray, Lord, bless all the missionaries. Lord, bless, bless the pastors, bless our church, and we go on our way. But when the contrary circumstances come, uh, our prayers become more desperate, don't they? More earnest. James, not the James that was killed by the sword here, but James, the half-brother of Jesus who wrote the book of James, says that the effectual fervent or earnest prayer of a righteous man avails much. It accomplishes much. God's looking for passion, earnestness in our prayers. The earnestness that keeps you on your face and on your knees long enough to get through 
to heaven. If you're not concerned enough about the matter to spend any more than what a perfunctory statement will allow for in your time and in your prayer life, then, you know, why, why should heaven get concerned about it? He's looking for earnestness. And the early church was so desperate at this point. They had heard the bad news. James is killed. Peter's in prison. And they got together for a prayer meeting, an all-night prayer meeting, like they had never prayed before. It says in verse 6, now when Herod was about to bring him about on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him, and he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And when they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. And when Peter came to himself, he said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. What were the Jewish people expecting? They were expecting Herod to do exactly to Peter what he did to James. Uh, this would have made the religious leaders applaud Herod, and Herod would have reigned in the good graces of the Jews, and as long as he kept the money flowing to Rome, all was good in Herod's life. Verse 12, when he realized this, that is Peter, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer, uh, recognizing Peter's voice. In her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. And they said to her, you're out of your mind. Poor Rhoda. I mean, the sweet little girl was just, you know, answering the door and reporting back to them. And here the church is praying, but they're not really believing that God will answer their prayer. I know we struggle with that too sometimes, don't we? Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Yeah, I, I know intellectually you can do all of this, but I, I really don't believe that you will. And, and the early church was kind of in that mindset too. They, they looked at poor Rhoda and said, you're crazy, girl. That isn't Peter. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. Kind of bad theology there, but, you know, we, we all get a little bit off track. But Peter continued, continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, and he said, tell these things to James. Now this is James, the half-brother of Jesus, who took a significant leadership role in the early church in Jerusalem. The James who doubted that his brother <laughs> was the Messiah. The James to which the risen Christ appeared in one of his post-resurrection appearances, that James now calls his brother Lord in Christ and is a leader in the church. Tell James what has happened and tell the brothers. And then he departed and went to another place, Peter did. 
Isn't that a great story? I mean, Hollywood couldn't have written a better script. Amy Grant wrote a pretty good song. And we know about the four squads of soldiers, maybe from the famous lyrics to the song. But let me tell you what Herod was doing here. Typically, the security measures they would take with a prisoner was one squad of soldiers, four soldiers that would uh, take, each take a three-hour shift over a 12-hour night shift. And that one soldier would chain himself to the prisoner. Herod said, oh, no, we're going to quadruple the security measures here with Peter. Four squads of soldiers, 16 soldiers. Each three-hour shift had four of them. One chained to this side, another one chained to the other side of Peter, and two standing at the door. Herod wasn't going to let this guy out of his sight. <laughs> but he underestimated the angel of the Lord, didn't he? And I love the scene here. The angel of the Lord shows up. Peter's sleeping. The peace of God that passes all understanding has overtaken Peter. And the angel of the Lord has to slap him in the face a little bit and says, boy, get up. Time to wake up. And the chains fell off. He says, put your shoes on, your sandals on, put your cloak on. We're going for a walk. And they walk right out of that prison without disturbing the guards. And Peter's out in the middle of the streets of Jerusalem before he knows what's happening. And he's convinced the angel of the Lord came to rescue me from Herod and for the fate that all the Jews expected. And he goes to the house of Mary where the church is in a prayer meeting and, you know, the whole Rhoda thing happens. Friends, God answers prayer. Dr. Ron Jones will be right back with the second half of today's message, Angels Watching Over Us. Remember, you can stop by somethinggoodradio.org anytime to find out more about the ministry or to order selected resources like the series you're hearing right now, A.D. Acts of the Apostles. The entire audio download of this 19-message series can be yours today for a gift to Something Good Radio. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. Or call our offices at 757-276-1099. Now here's Ron with the rest of today's message, Angels Watching Over Us. Now that's not a complete theology on answered prayer. There are a lot of conditions we have to meet to answered prayer. Uh, like, you know, the Bible says, if I regard sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If you have unconfessed sin in your life, or if I do, the Lord turns a deaf ear until you get it right with Him, okay? And there's a whole thing that we could talk about in terms of, you know, answered prayer and how all that happens. And part of what we have to do is leave room in our theology for a sovereign God to make sovereign decisions. He didn't rescue James. The sword came in. He chose to rescue Peter. I don't know why. He chose to heal this person, but didn't choose to heal this person. I, I don't know why. I can't explain that to you as a pastor. I, I just know that we live in a fallen world. We live in a world with pain and suffering. But from heaven's perspective, it's momentary, light afflictions. Got to leave room in your theology for that. But the God of the Bible is a prayer hearing and a prayer answering God. Hallelujah for that, right? He hears our prayers, especially the earnest, fervent, passionate 
desperate prayers of his people. It's time to ratchet up the prayer life, friends. God hears our prayers. Lesson number three, God deals justly with our enemies. Let's read on verse 18. Now, when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers <laughs> over what had become of Peter. That's the understatement of the year, right? Can you imagine these guys? And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries, the soldiers, and ordered that they should be put to death. And then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. This was Roman law. If you were a soldier and you failed in your security duties, it was on you an immediate death. And Herod, Herod orders the death and then goes to the beach in Caesarea. I mean, these guys were evil. I've been to Caesarea. It's a beautiful coastal city along the Mediterranean. But after you just executed your soldiers, all 16 of them, he runs off to Caesarea. Verse 20, now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. These, these Herods uh, kept the Jewish people just desperate uh, for food and for sustenance. That's how they kept them in line. Verse 21, on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Justice came swiftly to the house of Herod. Doesn't always happen that way. You know, we, we, we live in a world where, oh my, horrible things happen. The enemies do things to us and things befall us. I'm thankful for, you know, a, a justice system in our country, but sometimes that, that doesn't always deliver justice. But God will ultimately bring justice to his enemies. He will, he will ultimately right the wrongs. I've learned over the years that I don't have enough capacity in my spirit to harbor um, anger and bitterness and revenge and to plot revenge. I don't have enough capacity in my spirit to carry offenses. I've got to give that over to the Lord, who ultimately, in his sovereign time, will deliver justice, sometimes swiftly, as in the case of Herod and even the soldiers. But a lot of times we have to wait for the Lord who says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. The Lord will have His last say. Leave room for that, friends. Now, when we, when we carry around offenses, when we plot revenge, when we're bitter, it's like drinking poison and expecting it to hurt somebody else. It just rots the soul from the inside out. So let it go. Let it go. Not in a trite way, but give it over to the Lord. Cast your cares and your burdens on Him. And the God who is in control, the God who hears our prayers, will also right the wrongs in His time and in His way. He hasn't forgotten, He keeps records. 
In this case, justice came swiftly. And I wonder if many years later when the Apostle Peter was reflecting perhaps on this scene and he was penning his, his first epistle, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 12, I, I wonder if he was thinking about this experience in Acts chapter 12 when he wrote these words. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and His ears are open unto their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. There's your outline of Acts chapter 12. God is in control. He hears our prayers. He deals justly with our enemies in His time. I, I, I just wonder if Peter was remembering that, reflecting upon that all these years later when he penned that first epistle. And let's take those lessons with us today, and let's remember that maybe, maybe, just maybe, you'll entertain an angel today, unawares because they were sent to minister to us, to protect and to serve us, just like they did Jesus during his lifetime. Fascinating stuff, isn't it? Thanks so much for joining us for today's Something Good radio message, Angels Watching Over Us. And Ron, let's talk for a moment about the angelic realm. I think you've already answered the question, do angels exist? But I'm wondering, and I imagine many of our listeners are wondering, how do they affect our lives here on earth? You know, Brian, believe it or not, angels are mentioned almost 300 times in Scripture. And from those references, we can safely conclude that there are angels who serve God as well as angels who serve Satan. Of course, Satan himself is a fallen angel who rebelled against God. But here's what I find fascinating, and this is from the book of Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? So from the moment we receive Christ, God assigns angels, not just one, but a collection of them who are charged with ministering to us as individual believers in Christ. But it doesn't end there, Brian. Angels are not only here to minister to us, but to protect us. Think of Daniel who was thrown into the lion's den. King Darius went to open the pit the next morning to discover that Daniel was still alive. In Daniel 6 and verse 22, Daniel explains what happened. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. One more example is found in the Gospel of Luke, which shows us that our angels can attend to our emotional and spiritual needs. Uh, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he experienced severe anguish at the thought of facing crucifixion the next day. After he prayed, we are told in Luke 22 and verse 43, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Now, these ministering spirits are on call to do the same for us. And I could go on, but Brian, in the interest of time, I'll leave it there. But let me quickly give you two final thoughts. First, we cannot direct angels. Only God can do that. And second, uh, angels are not to be worshiped. We worship the creator, not the creation. And angels are created beings. So be encouraged today. The angels of God are very real and very busy ministering, protecting, and guiding those of us who believe in Jesus. That's Dr. Ron Jones with some great final thoughts on today's message, Angels Watching Over Us. Well, Ron, now that we've completed our journey through the book of Acts, how about telling us what's in store for us next time as you begin your teaching series, True Worship. 
Sure thing, Brian. Well, the next series is called True Worship, and I believe it's a message all of us need to hear from time to time. You know, we were created to worship God. That is our primary function, both now and in eternity. But what exactly is true worship? How does the Bible define the word worship? When we're at church for an hour or so on Sunday morning, how does the way we sing, pray, preach, give, and serve help us worship God? These are important questions, and the answers can dramatically improve our relationship with God and draw us closer to Him than ever before. That's where we're headed for the next couple of weeks, and I believe this series can help all of us grow by leaps and bounds in our worship experience. That series begins Monday when Ron shares his message, The Two Commandments of Worship. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying God bless and thanks for listening.